Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, just like I was yesterday. And I'm looking forward to today being August 1st. And here we are. And I can't think of anything I would enjoy doing more than camping out in Luke chapter 15 with Pastor Pat Nemers. That, to me, sounds like a really good way to start the day. And as you know, Pat's been a guest before on the program. He's authored a book called Retractions, Cultivating Humility After Humiliation, which is a book I just loved. And But we're going to just dive into the words of Jesus today, kind of the Red Word series. And uh, Pat is the senior pastor at Sailorsville uh, Church in Des Moines, Iowa. Pat, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Bill. Glad, glad to be back with your, your audience again today. Yeah, and your audience is all over the place, including Des Moines, where people listen to you right now in your own hometown. Isn't that sweet? Yeah, it's, uh, I, we've been here for 25 years. We love it. We're th- we thank the Lord for what he's doing here. Uh, Sailorville Church is a growing church, and uh, the Engage Network is a network of, of eight churches, that uh, seven of which have been planted here in the greater Des Moines area with over 4,000 people. It's really exciting to see what the the work of God is doing. We're grateful to be able to spread the gospel here in this area. That's fantastic. And God has been so faithful uh, over so many years. And I am uh, so glad to hear that. So thank you for sharing that, reminding us that there's lots of growth going on in Des Moines and and, uh, Sailorville Church has been part of that. I love that we're camping out in Luke 15 today. I, I love this passage. I love this. So we can... Take your time, and we can get some lemonade and just enjoy the hour together. I hope so. And in fact, I I know we did this when we when we studied uh, John fifteen. Uh, That's right. You know, here in the last couple of months, and and the uh, the vine and the branches, and we took a couple of episodes. We might have to do that today as well. If you if your listeners would bear with me for another time, we'll we'll let you be the judge of that, Bill. Okay. Well, I know we're going to talk about the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the, and the lost son. And so th- this is such a rich, rich uh, material. And I don't know, should we start by reading a chunk? Are we going to start with the parable of the lost sheep? Yeah, as we do that, I would just, I would just introduce it in this way. There Please. are parables, and parables, uh, as many of your listeners know, uh, are, it's, it's really our our English word parable is actually a, what we call a transliteration. In other words, it, it sounds just like the Greek word parabole. That's the Greek word. It means something that's thrown alongside. Uh, that's, and by the way, that's what a sermon illustration is. A sermon illustration is an illustration that's thrown alongside the truth that the pastor is preaching. We mm-hmm. all love good illustration, right? Yes. And, but they are illustrations, and that's an important point. Uh, we, you know, parables have direct connections to the time, as with the sheep. They were used, to, you know, the, this parable of the lost sheep. All of those listeners would could relate to sheep and shepherds, and and as they could with the coin that's referred to. And 
every generation can refer to a rebellious son, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a lot of application, but sometimes because they're parables, we have to be careful not to uh, not to um, try to overinterpret it. Now we're going to do the best we can here, and I hope that your listeners will be greatly informed, encouraged, and I hope inspired too, because uh, this partic- these particular parables, Bill. They're all having to do with something that's lost. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. Have you ever lost something, Bill? Yes, I have. Can you think of something right off the top of your head that you've lost in your lifetime? Um, yes, I lost a, a watch that was very meaningful to me. Yeah. Did you ever find it? Never did. Yeah, you know, I've had that experience as well. I I uh and I'll I'll as we go back and forth, I'll mention a couple of things that I've lost. It seems like the things I lose, I usually don't find again, but <laughs> uh, I have an illustration of something that I, that I've lost before, but, um, uh, in this, in this particular, these particular parables, there are some interesting, um, similarities in all of them. In each case, something gets lost, right? Uh, the parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost son. In each case, that which is lost is more precious than the thing before. That's pretty interesting, don't you it think? It is. Yeah, very interesting. So, so I, so I'll just go ahead and tell you, I, I lost some uh, earbuds. They were, they were uh, a nice variety. They, they, they weren't cheap. Let's just put it that way. And so I was really bummed that I lost these earbuds of mine. And uh, I didn't think I'd ever see him again. <laughs> and I was, uh, we had a big snowstorm here in Des Moines, Iowa here last winter. And uh, I, I, we had a couple of them and I was the second one. I was putting my coveralls on and my earbuds fell out of the coveralls. I had turned the whole place upside down looking for those earbuds a month earlier. The one place I didn't look was in my coveralls where I put them. And uh, so, man, when I found those earbuds, I was I was so ecstatic. I was so happy. It was so fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Gen- genuinely excited to find them. But, you know, they were earbuds. I mean, if I never found them, it's not that great of a loss. But losing my son, who I write about in the book that you referred to, losing my son, spiritually speaking, to the world and the devil was an exceedingly devastating loss and these losses in these parables are uh each loss is more precious than the other i mean i think we'd all agree that losing a son would be exceedingly more devastating than losing a sheep right Mm -hmm. absolutely so so then in each case i i I want a couple other things as, as we get and then we'll have you read it in each case there's a sudden awareness of lostness. I think our audience needs to know that in each, in each parable, there's sort of an, like a, an awareness. Oh my goodness, this, this is lost. The sheep is lost. The coin is lost. My son is lost. And in each case, when the thing lost is found, there's great rejoicing that takes place. And that's a huge point that we don't want to miss as we work through these things. Uh, there's more analogy, but I think we'll stop there for right now and, uh, and maybe get into the, um, to the, uh, parables themselves so yep. the context the context is jesus responding to the pharisees and scribes who were his constant provocateurs right they were his constant enemies and but there's a lot of people listening in so uh with that uh why don't you take off with the sheep and we'll see how it goes you know pap uh before we get to that um let let me say 
uh, as we talk about parables, when we think of talking about in you know English speaking cultures, we, we often use statistics or definitions. But I think in the in the Jewish culture in in biblical times, things were explained in word pictures, weren't they? They really were, and you see that in the life of Jesus, constantly doing that. I'm glad you brought that up, Bill, because sometimes we think we in our churches we set up classes. We do that in our own church. You have a teacher at the head of the class. You have your students. There may be five. There may be 50 or something in between. But you have a, a PowerPoint or some uh, you know, pro presenter or something. You're using your iPad or whatever. Just Im- Im- imagine Jesus teaching his disciples. I saw, I saw a, a cartoon a few years ago. I wish I'd have saved it. It was, it was Jesus with a chalkboard and all of his disciples <laughs> uh, sitting on benches. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's so ridiculous. We know that's not how he taught them. But w- different cultures learn differently. And uh, I think that Jesus, I think sometimes Jesus would uh, liken the parable of the vine and the branches. I think they're walking by a, a vineyard when he said, I, I'm, the, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Mm-hmm. So he would use word pictures, as you say. Uh, and let's be honest, that's how a lot of us even today, learn the best. And, and Pat, wouldn't you say as well that when Jesus was using parables, these parables have, of course, remained timeless, despite whatever changes that we see in culture or technology or anything. They really do. And again, just to, I don't do this often enough to be candid. I, I, uh, I'm a preacher. I'm a Bible expositor. I'm an evangelist. I do all these things and I'm preaching the word of God. But just last week, I began a two-part series on the Holy Spirit. And I was do, I, and it was 30 years ago, Bill, that I started contemplating the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and, you know, he's so misunderstood. And I came up with 13 present active ministries of the Holy Spirit, 13 present active ministry. So I could just start listening to them, put the words up on a board or whatever, or up on the screen. But instead, what I did was I put people up behind me. Each one of them uh, demonstrated a different ministry of the Holy Spirit. Like, for instance, he restrains evil. And I had somebody put, having their hands together, pressing down. And I did this with all these individuals. And the response from the message was, oh, my goodness, I learned so much better when I could see something. Of course. So um, so that kind of teaching, it's important for us teachers and preachers to realize that people are, most people uh, would acknowledge that at least a large portion of their learning ability comes from being able to see something, to visualize something. Mm-hmm. All right, Pat, let me take our first break. We'll come back and we'll get into uh, Luke 15. Um, when Jesus, uh, you know, starts this opening statement in, in, the, in chapter 15, uh, when we'll start talking about the, you know, the Jewish culture was a, a shame and honor-driven society. Uh, so, again, when he starts to teach... We'll put it in a context, and I think we'll see exactly as the Pharisees were gathered around to listen uh, what was going on in their heads. This is going to be a rich time of teaching. uh, Pastor Pat Nemers is my guest. We are in Luke chapter 15. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. I'm back with Pastor Pat Nemers. He's the lead pastor at Sailorville Church in Des Moines. Always glad to have him on. We're talking today about Luke chapter 15, parking ourselves right there and enjoying this time of fellowship and studying God's Word. So have your Bible out. Maybe you've got a notebook or something that you take notes with and a pen. That is always helpful. And Pat, let's dig into the Word. Let's start uh, in chapter 15. I'll read the first couple of verses if that's okay with you. That'd be great. All right. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Is there a little passive aggressiveness going on there? Yeah. In fact, that word muttered, uh, from whatever translation you're reading, it literally means to scowl. So that's <laughs> pretty, that's pretty good translation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're getting this idea that the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. Then verse 3, it says, Then Jesus told them this parable. Verse 4, Suppose one of you, and I love the fact he's inviting them into the story. Suppose Mm -hmm. one of you, so I think that's very personal, very invitational. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then when he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I think a little sarcasm there towards the uh, Pharisees, huh? No question about it. And this would have angered them in the process. But uh, what a great parable. And one of them that is is most loved. I mean, if you were asked people, what parable comes to your mind of all the parables Jesus gave? This is going to be one of them that comes right to the forefront. The parable of the lost sheep. It's strange the shepherd would leave 99% of his sheep in jeopardy to go find just one uh, sheep. But if we dwell on that, we miss the point of the parable, right? Uh, we, this is what I meant when I said earlier, not to get hung up on some of these finer points uh, of an illustration, for instance. So uh, you, have, you have this individual. I love what you just said, Bill. He, he's, he's drawing them in. Suppose one of you, you've got to love that. He, 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 you know, you've got, a, you've got a sheep. They would relate to that. That shepherd goes after that sheep like any good shepherd uh, would do. And he goes until he finds the sheep. Now, this is really interesting because in, in Bible times, that isn't what, uh, that's not the way people thought. They didn't, they didn't think in terms of, they thought, they thought that we would come to God. God, we, we, they didn't think that God would come to us. But this is an illustration of God taking the initiative to come to us who are lost rather than us taking the initiative uh, to go to God. Sheep are one of those animals that do not easily find their way back to the flock when they get lost. I mean, they're, you know, that's why we talk about dumb sheep, right? (laughs) Yes. Uh, They, they will cry or they'll bleat. 
but they literally will, they literally are dumb enough to they cry because they're lost, but then they'll go in the opposite direction than they're supposed to. And so this emphasizes that the good shepherd is the one who takes the initiative. Rabbis in those days actually believed that God would receive a sinner who came to him in the right way. In fact, there's uh, William Barclay, the great Jewish or, or Bible expositor, rather. He, 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 he referenced a great Jewish scholar who admitted that this was one of the absolute new things that Jesus taught uh, men about God, that, that he actually searched for them. And this, this by the way, um, Bill, leads me to remind our listeners, if it, there, Jesus made several purpose statements uh, in his life. Like one of them was the thief comes to steal and kill, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So that's a, that's a purpose statement. He's telling us, this is why I came that you would have life. Another one that's familiar to our listeners is Jesus said, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to what, but to serve and to give his, yeah. And, and, but to, and to give his life a ransom for me. Again, that's another purpose statement but the one my favorite one connects to these parables it's in luke nineteen ten, where jesus said the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost that's a powerful purpose statement and that's exactly what jesus did and that is illustrated in this parable with the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one that's lost mm. pat nimbers is my guest and pat when I've read this, and of course I've struggled with this from time to time when you read about leaving the 99 in the open country, but there's nothing that says that he didn't make some provision that we just don't know about. Um, Correct. Correct. I know. think that's what I meant when I said, don't get hung up. Yeah. Don't get hung up on the particular, remember it's an illustration. So for instance, right. the other day, the other day in the ser- in a sermon I preached, I told, I told about being on an airplane uh, sometime back. And I was sitting, I was in the very back of the plane. I had the, the most undesirable seat on the plane. It was packed and a very smartly dressed woman came and sat down next to me. And I had prayed that it was a three hour flight. So I, I asked God to give me an opportunity with her. And so I greeted her and she wouldn't even talk to me. And so I, you know, I just, I said, okay, well, then I said, are you coming home? Or are you going home? And she wouldn't even acknowledge Bill that I was existing. Oh boy. And I thought to myself, I thought to myself, how rude can you get? And then just then the woman looked at me and said, I'm sorry, were you talking to me? I'm deaf. (laughs) Oh, wow. I was devastated, humiliated, and felt really stupid in the moment. But what I did was then to our people on Sunday, I I was illustrating that just, so I said, this woman and I had a communication issue, right? I mean, and we had a three hour flight in front of us. And, uh, so I said, uh, uh, just like it, it's the same for us. We come into this world with a communication issue with God. It's di- our, our communication with God is disrupted by sin. And I was illustrating that with my message. But how silly would it be if someone, having heard that message yesterday, would go home and say, the purpose of that illustration was that I'm not to assume everybody can hear very well. Right. That would be a dumb <laughs> thing to assume, right? Right. I think it's a similar thing when we realize Jesus is giving parables Look at the parable, and there's an old expression, when plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense. No, oh, I like so that. Clearly, 
Yeah. So clearly Jesus isn't, uh, he's, he, he's not worried about, you know, he's not, he doesn't want us to picture, oh my goodness, he's leaving 99 sheep and they're going to get scattered and all to go after his favorite one or something. That's the silliest thing I could, you could think of. That's, that's not the point of the parable. Right. The point is a sheep gets lost. The shepherd goes after him. He finds him, and there is, there's great rejoice. You can't miss the fact he puts it on his shoulders. That's, this is again, this beautiful picture of God coming after us, loving us, picking us up. And, uh, and comes home and he's rejoicing. You can't miss that rejoicing part, can you? No, you can't. And I love Pat. It says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Mm. He mm. takes ownership in that sheep. That's a beautiful moment. I think that you belong to him. So the same thing's going to happen when we get to the coin, but let's just talk about that a little bit here, Bill. He, you pointed out, he says, he gets what notice again, he gets, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me. I found my sheep, which was lost. And one of the things that I look for when, when someone who is lost comes to Jesus or claims that they've come to Jesus, I, I look for joy. I look for rejoicing. Uh, I certainly have joy when I have the, when I, when I have the joy of leading somebody to Christ, it gives me great joy, and I encourage the individual who came to, to know Jesus to rejoice, to spread this news, to let your family and your friends know about it. And if they don't, that leaves me kind of suspect because that tells me that they don't understand the dilemma they were in if they, were, if they ever understood it to begin with. So, mm. In verse 7, I will tell you, that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And of course, I think, Pat, don't you believe that there, that was a dig toward the Pharisees who they liked the idea of being the righteous ones without yeah, repenting? They, they, that's correct. That's good. That's, and remember Jesus said another time, the son of, son of man did not come to call uh, the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It would be the same thing. Those who claim to be righteous. So in this case, in the one that follows with the coin, the rejoicing is compared to the rejoicing of angels in heaven over a person's repentance on earth. And that's a very, very powerful thought. Is it not? It's very, very powerful. Yeah. All right, Pat, when we come back after our break, we're going to continue our study in Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. Pastor Pat Nemers is my guest, and he is at Sailorville Church in Des Moines, Iowa. He's been the lead pastor there for a whole bunch of years, and we're going to continue our study. So get your Bible out, Luke chapter 15, and when you feel close to God, it positively impacts every aspect of your life, but sometimes it's hard to feel God's presence at all you want to grow closer to him? Start with encouragement from Susie Larson when you text the word CLOSER to 877-933-2484. Hear directly from Susie when you text the word CLOSER. Again, to 877-933-2484. Be right back.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Having a wonderful time studying Luke chapter 15 with Pastor Pat Nemers, and we are in the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And if you just joined us, uh, you're going to want to hear it from the beginning, of course. But also, there's some patterns of consistency in in these in this parable because something valuable uh, has been lost, uh, and then when it was found, there's not only great rejoicing, but they don't want to rejoice alone. And so this is part of the the beautiful part of this message. So, Pat, if we can, let's uh, move on to the parable of the lost coin. How does that sound? It sounds good. And and before you read it, remember we said earlier, and just a good reminder is in each one of these parables, that which is lost is more precious than the thing before. And you said it right, Bill. They're all valuable, but the value goes up with every parable. We lost a sheep in the last one. And nevertheless, the shepherd goes after it, finds it, brings it back on its on his shoulders. Everybody rejoices. And we're told that likewise, when somebody repents, there's great joy in heaven as there is on earth. Now we move to an even more valuable uh situation the parable of the coin and uh and and you should know that this 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 coin or this this is actually um think about it think in terms of a wedding ring in 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 contemporary setting the coin here is like a wedding ring imagine losing your wedding ring and with that bill go ahead and read it well, you just you just raised the stakes quite a bit there, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I'm purpose. Right. Yeah. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, "Rejoice with me! I have found my lost coin." In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Well, that's a great, uh, again, we don't talk about this parable as much, but keep in mind, everyone gets, a, there's an ascending value here, okay? So the the coin here, probably um, the great New Testament scholar, F.F. Bruce, I didn't come up with this on my own, as you can imagine. I'm, I'm too, I'm not smart enough to do that, but the coin was the equivalent of a wedding ring today. It was actually held with several others on a silver chain worn around the head as a mark of a married woman. This, just as we wear a ring to say that we're married, they might wear such a chain. Mm -hmm. And one of them has been lost. Now, uh, without, without exception, the greatest loss physically, materially, that I have ever lost was indeed my wedding ring. Um, I, I and and Bill, I lost my ring at John Deere in Waterloo, Iowa, in a factory, uh, one week after my honeymoon, if you can believe oh, it. Oh boy! And I didn't have the heart to tell my wife for a month. I can't believe she didn't say anything to me when I finally told her. She said, "I knew you lost it because I hadn't seen it on your finger." I so this 
factory was so grungy and and metal parts were everywhere and and uh uh there was uh, shavings from the metal that i cut they were everywhere and when i discovered i lost that ring i tore that place upside down looking for it i mean i tore it upside down i had to People all around me must have thought, what are you doing? I mean, I tore the machine apart. I threw, I tore everything apart and I never found out. I'll never forget how distraught I was. Well, that's what we have going here. We have this woman who's lost her equivalent of wedding ring and she's tearing the place upside down, isn't she? Oh, she absolutely uh, is. She's sweeping the house. She's searching carefully. She turns a lamp on because uh, a lot of these homes uh, in that day would not have windows. So you'd have to turn a light, a lamp on no matter what. So that takes place here and, uh, and, and, and just lo and behold, ah, she finds it. <laughs> She's just beside herself with joy. And she does what any of us would do if we lost something so precious as a wedding ring. We'd tell everybody about it, wouldn't we? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we write story. I mean, you, you read stories in the paper and hear on, on the radio and TV when a, a wedding ring has been found. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's a newsworthy story. It does. It's funny. You're right. I've, I've heard of those stories before. Somebody finds it out in a, in a park somewhere and it's been gone for 30 years or right. something. And, and, uh, and so everybody's happy. And like you said, it's, it's actually newsworthy. But she wouldn't have found it unless there was light. Now, I don't want to get overly, uh, I don't want to overly interpret here, but there's a light. She turns a light on, there's a lamp, because light does, light does several things. It attracts, certainly, but it also reveals, does. In this case, it reveals. And, uh, you know, the church, God's church is his lamp in this world. We're supposed to be attractive. We should be drawing people. Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember when I was uh, I was at Yellowstone National Park when I was a little boy and I was with a, a friend of mine and we were trying to impress a couple of girls and we'd taken a long walk with them and it got dark. And when I say dark, it got pitch dark. <laughs> we got complete. We got completely lost. Yeah. And I tried to I was trying to act macho like I knew, you know, I I knew where I was. But after about a half hour, I was I was I was visibly and physically afraid. I didn't know where I was because darkness causes fear. And uh, I'll never forget hearing a voice, my brother Mike's voice in the distance, call my name. And what I saw was a light. He had a big, bright light. Look, and I mean, when I saw that light, Bill, I went running toward it, you know. So uh, that's what light does. In this case, the light actually found that which was lost. My brother found me, who I was lost at that time. And, uh, and again, the, the, the result is the same as with the lost sheep. And the same is going to be with the son. There is great rejoicing. So this, this tells us that when God does something in our lives, like saving us or like bringing somebody back to God, there should be a time of tremendous, tremendous rejoicing. We should not, um, uh, we should, we should not just go ho hum when somebody turns back to God, whether getting saved or coming back to the Lord. It should be a great time of delight and rejoicing. Wouldn't you agree? I would. And Pat, don't you see how relational this is? Because when you lose something, 
you know, I might mention sheepishly to a friend, you know, hey, I lost my earbuds. I feel like an idiot, right? But (laughs) did you call all your friends and gather them to say, hey, I found my earbuds in my coveralls? No, you didn't. You just kind of sighed a breath of fresh air that you found it. But this, I read this text and I go, this is so relational because what was lost and is now found is something that we truly want to gather and rejoice over. Yes, this is very much, this is way more personal yes. than losing sheep. I'm, I, I found my wedding ring. And she says in verse nine, reju- like you pointed out, re- re- I love this, rejoice with me. And again, when I, have, when I have the joy of leading somebody to Jesus, the first thing I look for is joy. The second thing I look for is gratitude. Those are the first two things I look for in somebody who was lost, who is now supposedly found by the Lord. I look for joy. And I look for gratitude and those who lack joy and gratitude usually leave me suspect. I once had a man who uh, had done some terrible things. He committed some terrible immorality and he was basically caught and he came back to me. He literally got on his knees in front of me. I kid you not in a driveway. He got on his knees, grabbed my pant legs and called with all of his voice, forgive me. Oh God, forgive me. And he prayed like he was trusting Jesus. And it was just very moving. I I thought for sure this guy, it was real now. But that man never exhibited either joy or gratitude. And he never told anyone what he did. Mm. And And to this day, that man is I don't think he's any more saved than the man on the moon. But man, he went through a bunch of emotion. So I look for people who find the Lord. So I'm using that term loosely because really it's God who finds us, right? Mm -hmm. These parables describe it. God's the one who finds us. But those who come to know Christ, I look for, and I think we should look for joy and gratitude. And you see those powerfully expressed in these parables. Mm Pastor Pat Nemers is my guest as we're studying Luke 15. Pat, I love verse 7 that says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And then when we uh, shoot down to verse 10, in the same way, I tell you, this is about the parable of the lost coin, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner. So we've got a little variation there. How do we parse those two? I don't know if I would parse him too much. I wouldn't get too much parsing here. Again, yeah. remember, it's terrible. He's he's saying there, if you think it's exciting down here, let me tell you something. It's even more so up there. By the way, Bill, you pointed out rightly that these parables are taking shots at the religious establishment of that day, namely, and we're told, the Pharisees and scribes, right? Mm-hmm. Did you know that according to William Barclay, Many of the religious people of Jesus's day believed way differently. In fact, they had a saying, and I quote, here's the quote, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who is obliterated before God. Whoa. Can you believe? (laughs) Whoa, I did not know that. That's a saying they had. There will be joy in heaven over one sinner who is obliterated before God. In other words, they loved, they, they were very imprecatory. These Pharisees and scribes, they love to see God, you know, smite the sinner, you know, when the fact is the smiting hand was really hovering over them. So, but you know what? I have, we have to be careful here because I don't know about you, Bill, but 
I know Christians who rejoice over the downfall of others. And that is never something we should do. We should never rejoice over the downfall of others. We get frustrated with people. We get exasperated by people who defy God. But we should never rejoice in their downfall because if the downfall would mean their death, if they don't have a relationship with Jesus, that means they go to hell. And, the, and hell is not something they ever get out of. So it, this is supposed to challenge our thinking as well. And back to your statement, both verse 7 and 10, tell us that there is joy and lots of it, right? Over one sinner, that, just a sinner that's repenting mm-hmm. in the presence of the angels. So, you know, do you ho-hum when you hear that somebody has been saved? Oh, no. No, not at all. <laughs> No, I'm quite right. happy. Good. We should be happy. We should rejoice. Uh, and and granted, every person that comes to know Jesus doesn't understand all of the ramifications of what took place. And I think as we grow in the Lord, our, our, our joy and our gratitude will definitely deepen. Mm-hmm. But, if there's a, but if there's a basic understanding of substitution that Jesus died for me and rose again for me and, and trusting him as my savior is what brings salvation. If I have that basic understanding, I'm going to be full of gratitude. I'm going to be full of joy, just like the angels. Mm. We'll take a little break. Pastor Pat Nemers is my guest. We're in Luke chapter 15 today. If you just tuned in talking about the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin. And when we come back, we're going to, continue on the parable of the lost son. Not that we're talking about Pat's book, but I thought I'd mention it anyway because he's my guest and I like him. The book is called Retractions, Cultivating Humility After Humiliation. And Pat spells his last name N-E-M-M-E-R-S Nemers. All right, we'll be right back. Giveaway. I don't know if if that's three words or three syllables. I'm not sure it matters. What really matters is we are giving away 100 copies of Susie Larson's new book, Closer Than Your Next Breath. Where is God when you need him most? If you have ever wondered about hearing the voice of God or is feeling good the same as feeling God? Is, is there anything I can do when God seems silent? All of that is covered in Susie's new book. And if you want to get in on the drawing, you can enter to win your copy now. You can do it at myfaithradio.com. Thanks for listening to the podcast and supporting Faith Radio. We're back with Pat Nemers in Luke chapter 15. We are now to the parable of the lost son, one of my all-time favorites in scripture. And Pat, I don't know if we're going to have enough time to give this one all the time it deserves. So let's just get it started, set it up and see how far we get uh, because this is such a powerful, powerful message. And I know there's so many people listening today that have a prodigal in their life. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And, and if you don't, I love that, what you just said, we're not going to be able to get it. I'd like to give a commercial on another book, not one that I 
not one that I wrote, but it's one of the best books, I think, written by the late, great uh, Tim Keller, who went to be with the Lord here a couple months ago. He wrote a book titled The Prodigal God. And if your listeners love to read books, it's not a long book, but I really consider it a great book. I think it's the greatest exposition of the parable of the of the prodigal son, actually the prodigal sons, if you want, I mean, two sons here, as you know, I think it's the, it's the greatest exposition I have ever read. And uh, so I urge your audience to pick up the prodigal God, maybe, maybe read it before we get together. Cause it's, there's going to be tremendous insights that we won't even be able to cover yeah. the next together. So much good content so, in that book. And Tim yeah. also did a video series on that, which I bought as well. So I'm, I'm well, uh, well up to date on that, that book. Yeah. Very, very powerful video series yeah. and and uh, and very powerfully done. So let's just remind our listeners again that we have three parables here. It's all about being lost. Uh, in each case, something gets lost. In each case, that which is lost is more precious than the thing before. Uh, in each case, there's a sudden awareness of lostness. I think that's very powerful. Like, oh my goodness, the sheep is gone. Oh my goodness, the coin is gone. <laughs> and and, mm-hmm. uh, and but in the in the last case, it's going to be the person that's lost that that there's an awareness that comes in. Now, in each case, when the thing lost is found, there's rejoicing. We've talked about that at length. In the first two cases, there's great pursuit of the thing lost. In the first one, the you know the shepherd leaves the ninety nine and goes after the one. In the last case, uh, you know the second one rather the second case the coin that you know the woman just you know tears the place upside down turns the light on finds that you know which is an equivalent to a wedding ring in the last case the father lets the son go in in a sense into his lostness this is really interesting to me and uh in the first two cases the rejoicing is compared to the rejoicing of angels in heaven over a person's repentance on earth in the first two parables of something lost, that which is lost is found. And there's kind of a bow put on the parable. I mean, hey, you know, we got the sheep all together. You know, we're all one big happy family now. Hey, we got the all the all these uh, coins together that fit on the necklace. My wedding ring is back. We're good to go. But not so this last one. In fact, though that which is lost is found, not all is well in the family. Well, there is great rejoicing. Not everybody is clicking their heels. And and I would add this. I tell our listeners to set up for the next time we come together. This is a direct shot at the Pharisees here because they become like the elder brother, which we'll get to in the uh, Lord willing next time. In fact, the final parable of lostness sort of this is what I think is going to be very powerful. We'll come back to this bill in the final parable of the lost son. The the parable of the lostness leaves us hanging. Um, and let me just compare it to another story. Remember the story of Jonah? Yes. Okay, so uh, we remember Jonah. You know, God said go. Jonah said no. And God said, oh. <laughs> and so Jonah was, you know, swallowed by the whale. He spit back up. He preaches to Nineveh. Nineveh repents. And Jonah goes off and pouts. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. And uh, God provides this uh, plant and, uh, you know, it gives him relief. And then the, he provides a worm that eats the plant. And, you know, then Jonah starts complaining again. And God dialogues with him at the very end of Jonah. 
and uh, says, Jonah, I mean, I mean, are, you know, look what I've done here. You you rejoice over a plant. I mean, you're not going to consider these the people of this town. And then Jonah just ends. It just ends. And I, I think the reason it just ends, Bill, is because God wants us to picture ourselves, each of us, as Jonah. What mm-hmm. would we do in that? I think in a very similar way, that's what's going to happen here at the end of this parable. I, I would tell all of our listeners to get ready to get inserted. Get ready to get inserted into the parable because Jesus is going to leave us hanging on this parable. And when he does, he's doing it to say, you're, you're there. Which one are you? Are you the prodigal son who went out and wasted everything he had? Or are you his brother who just minded all of his P's and Q's throughout life and crossed every T and dotted every I, and went to church and yada, yada, <laughs> but, but was really just as bad off as the other and perhaps even worse. So there's the big setup for it. If we have the time, we can start reading it. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I heard Tim Keller say in his book was that both sons were alienated from the father. One was alienated by doing all the wrong things, and one was alienated although he did all the right things. Yeah, they that's both pretty popular. wanted what the father had but didn't want the father. That's right. They wanted his stuff, but they didn't want him. Yeah. And uh, in both cases, that was true. The one just, you know, made, you know, took the stuff and just, uh, and, and spend it all. And the other probably was saving it all, but it was all about him. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that would have present day application. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Yeah. Well, let's get started. Let's read it in verse uh, okay. 11 of chapter 15. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, maybe, Okay, so let's, yeah, let's stop so let's, there. Let's just stop there for a minute and just talk. We, we might as well kind of give our audience that, you know, what's going on here. So you've got a younger son. Uh, you had two sons here. So the focus right away is we got a guy who has two sons. The younger one, we automatically know the younger one means he's not the firstborn. He's the second born. And in Jewish society and in that in that context of uh, of culture and society in that first century, the first son always got two thirds of everything. The younger, in this case, would get one third. Mm-hmm. So so he's asking his dad to give him his his um, his his third. OK, his uh, uh, and. But this is where it gets really interesting. And Keller points this out. Do you, I don't know if you remember what Keller was saying in essence. What was that son wishing? Wishing well for his father to be dead. Yeah, because, because last I checked, wills don't get enacted until somebody dies. Mm-hmm. And so to think about the treachery of this, this son is saying in essence, you're dead to me, dad. Right. So give me what I got coming. And and Pat, it's not like dad got out his checkbook and quill pen and wrote him a check for his share. 
he had to do some selling of property. He had to divide that up. I'm sure that was not going well with his peers and his friends and his people and his community were probably looking at this dad going, you're doing what? Or And his brother. And his brother, of course, his brother. Yeah. All of that, you're right. All of that is taking place. And, you know, um, when uh, uh, in my book, I have a chapter titled John that after our youngest son. And uh, I think we've talked about this at another uh, broadcast. But, um, you know, he didn't say that to me, didn't wish me dead. But he came really, really close. (laughs) Uh, And uh, there was a time where I just it would be it would it would. It, just to know that he had, would turn back to God. That's all I would care about. Would he do that? And I was the father who had to let him go um, and um, and suffered the emotional distress of a rebellious son leaving to do whatever he wanted to do. And he mm-hmm. was doing whatever he wanted to do. So I can relate just a little bit to that. But I can also relate to the great rejoicing that takes place later on. Yeah. Pat, you know, I think this is probably the place we hit pause and say we're going to continue talking about the parable of the lost son at a later date because we've run out of time, unfortunately. Uh, But it's such a a strong, rich teaching in Luke 15. So I'm happy to camp there anytime anybody wants to. So. Um, maybe we'll pick another uh, 30 minutes uh, in an upcoming, uh, maybe later this month to, to finish this off. And that would be a great way to uh, put a button on this uh, study of the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. Is that a deal? I, I would love to do that. And if there's a listener out there who is lost, you don't know Jesus. He's the one who came. He's the good shepherd who came for you. He turned the world upside down by dying on a cross for you and rising again. I love your trust. Uh, yeah. I love your evangelist heart. Thank you very much, and have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Bill. God you bless. Bet. You bet. Pastor Pat Nemers has been my guest. We're going to take a break, and we come back. We're going to continue our study in Thessalonians with Jeff Dorn. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.